Report, a weekly journey into the life of a guy who spends more time in the toy section than the kid who hangs the figures from the pegs. Your host, Icy Robots. All right. Greetings, Earth people. I am from Jupiter. It's me again, Icy Robots. I'm not a hero. I just sacrifice to make your life a little better each and every Wednesday. And Wednesday is the day that it is right now. So... Like every Wednesday, it means another exciting episode of the good old Toys R Us report. This is going to be number 12, a dozen, one under a baker's dozen. And, well, we are now in December. That's kind of wild, don't you think? We have made it all the way past Turkey Day. We've made it all the way past Halloween. And now we are in the season of my personal and probably your personal favorite holiday, too, Christmas. We got a fun, hopefully information-packed show coming for you. It's going to start off with a cool movie review. Uh, this week we saw Mockingjay. Is it The Mockingjay or just Mockingjay? I totally forget. Still, it had Jennifer Lawrence. It had Philip Seymour Hoffman. It had, oh, it had Julian Moore with white hair. So what do you know? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we got a retro toy roundup this week. It's about everybody's favorite sports-themed action figure series. Unless maybe you like those ones that Sears put out back in the 70s, those those uh, NFL action figures. Maybe you prefer those. But if you don't, your favorite is what we got on the Retro Toy roster this week. Starting lineups. Ugh. It was just eating me alive inside out. So I had to go and figure out what they were called. And they are called NFL Action Mates. The reason this was bugging me is because one time I wrote an article for Retroist. That's such a hard word to say. Retroist. Do you have trouble with that? Retro. Ist, retroist.com. I think I try to spit it out too quickly and it comes out all retroist, all mushy, retroist. Anyway, I wrote a little thing for Retroist about NFL action mates. You can find that, just go over there, do some kind of author search, or just even search NFL action mates. I probably, you could just search NFL because I don't think that uh, us characters over there are not necessarily like the most sports in tuned fools. So this might even be the only thing on the NFL. I'm not saying I know that for sure. I might be totally wrong. I probably am totally wrong in general. That's how I roll. So anyway, go over there, go over to Retroist and do that. And, you know, if you're interested, if not, just stick with the show, find out more about sporting lineups. Why did I say sporting lineups? They are called starting lineups. Just stick with the show, listen to the starting lineups, and you'll get more knowledge about sports-themed action figures than you ever even imagined you would want. How was your guys' Thanksgiving? Mine was okay. We used to have these gigantic family Thanksgiving, but over the years, people have moved apart. They've gone their own ways, and each year they get a little bit smaller. And this year, we were back over at my mom's house, whereas the last couple years we've been hitting up restaurants and stuff. So that was a plus. There was a lot of good food, but there wasn't the amount of family that I would like, I guess. It's always stressful to have all your family around, but still, when it comes to be, you know, the holiday season, you want them close around you, even though they do drive you crazy, and a lot of the people in my family do drive me crazy. My daughter, you know, she's on the tip where she's just, like, really into her friends, which is cool. I can totally understand that, and none of this 
has anything to do with toys. And I apologize, and I will try to keep it short, but she's really on the tip where she's into her friends, and that's really cool. But I want to see her, and she kind of did this thing where she wanted to go over to one of her buddies' house for Thanksgiving. And that's, you know, that's cool, but it was the sort of thing where her parents were being very compassionate, and they were inviting over a few other kids who didn't have places to go. One girl who lives in a hotel, and another... Another kid who is on the outs with his folks. And she wanted to go over there because these are her friends and they do dig it. I still felt a little bad thinking that my daughter wanted to go hang out with the kids who didn't have a place to go when she does have a place to go. But I shouldn't take it that way. And when you get into dealings like that with a teenager, you really shouldn't take it that way because they don't mean to offend you. And it's not that they don't love you. It's just they don't actively have any feelings for you because you're not really a person to them. You're more like, you're, I don't know, you're a vending machine. You're like a food vending machine slash ATM. And that's cool because we were all that way as teenagers. It's not till you're older that you really start to realize the sacrifices that somebody makes for you every day. And you don't realize the sacrifices that, you know, you don't realize how big of a deal it is to actually make a turkey. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to make these great meals. So, I wish there was some way I could express to her and get her to understand. I just don't think she will. It won't be till she's much older, but be that as it may, we're here. Let's get going. Let's talk about toys. Take it away. And now, at the movies, without Siskel or Ebert. Strength, courage. You find it times like this. Show them what it costs to be friends with Katniss Everdeen. I have a message for President Snow. The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, rated PG-13, in theaters November 21st. Alrighty, movie time. It was Friday, so of course we're off to the cinema. And what did we see? The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. It was good. I gotta admit, it was a lot better than I thought it would be. We took my sister-in-law because she, she's really into it. So I thought, you know, I'm gonna tag along. It'll be cool. I have seen the other movies. I've seen them on DVD. So I'm not the biggest Hunger Games fan, but I, I get the idea. I do have to admit that I'm a little unclear on the plot sometimes. It gets a little confusing to me, the whole... I don't know. When they're in like a different world and they have different slang and different names for things and different whatever, it gets a little confusing to me and I forget the finer details. I know there's a game and there's hunger and it's kind of kid on kid or whatever, but they have moved past that. And this one was really good. It's about the rebellion. The rebellion against President Snow and the people in the Capitol. I do have to admit that I am a little unclear on the overall... Okay, this is what I'm wondering. The districts and whatever, is that the whole entire planet or is this just like an individual country that they live in? I don't, I do not know. And they make a mention of how the population was greater at one time. What they say is, if there's another rebellion, we're at risk of wiping us all out. And I don't know, was there like a nuclear war or something? This is all weird because I've actually read, like sat down and read the first two books and I still don't really have an idea of the whole thing. It's confusing to me. It's just super confusing. Still, though, I enjoyed it. This one was a lot better than I thought. I think 
the parts with the games was kind of holding it back for me. So the fact that they weren't inside this arena playing this kooky games made it a little more fun for me. Anyhow, I do have a little bit of a history with the Hunger Games. Back in the day, this was, I don't know how many years ago, Stephen King used to have a column in Entertainment Weekly, which I was one of my favorite magazines. Anyhow, he had a column, and in one of them, he recommended this crazy book where kids were fighting kids and there was violence, and he said it was really great, and it was called The Hunger Games. So, taking his recommendation, I went out there and, you know, I got the first two books and read them, and, dude, I don't know... It was all right. It just wasn't for me. Too much jibba-jabba, not enough stabba-stabba, as it were. It was a little violent, but it wasn't quite what I expected, so I didn't get into it. And I was a bit surprised when, you know, this became, the, like, the cool fad that was sweeping the nation. A little bit surprised. Still, though, I'm happy for their success, and the movie was cool. I liked it. It had one of my favorite things. I love to see stories of courage. I love to see it when the underdog is fighting. I love Rebellion. I love Rocky. I love I love anything like that. And judging by a lot of the movies that get out there, I'm not the only one. I would imagine, you know, fighting the bigger machine is a very popular topic. And this movie follows that. It's the rebelling against the Capitol. The Capitol is the bad guys, led by Donald Sutherland, who is President Snow, the evil President Snow. So, they need a face for the revolution, and the face they choose is Katniss, Katniss Everdeen, the Mockingjay. So they convince her to join up with them, sort of as a figurehead, but also as a combatant. They get her to cut promos, and they make really neat propaganda videos about her. And I'll tell you what, you get her worked up, and Katniss can cut a fiery promo. Some of these little things she recorded will give you chills. She's out there just yelling and hollering, and she's like... If we burn, you're going to burn right with us. And it's great. I'll tell you, it was really fun. It is a tad on the long side, though. By the end of it, my buttocks and back were really hurting. You know, you get... The movie was packed. I didn't mention that. It was packed. Usually when I go see a flick, we we can sit wherever we want. It's just how it is. You know, the movies aren't as crowded as they used to be back in the day. But this one was packed. And we had to sit in the middle between, you know, people on the other side... And people on the other side. So there wasn't really that opportunity to stretch out and take up some space. And the movie's long. There's a lot going on. So, you know, I was a little achy by the end. I'm, you know, getting old. I'm sure you're getting old the same way I am. So it's not, you know, you see a long movie by the end of it, it's a little rough on you. And this one does drag a bit toward the end. Still, though, you're going to like it. It's full of fantastic actors, too. There's Jennifer Lawrence. Philip Seymour Hoffman puts in his final performance. A white-haired Julian Moore. Donald Sutherland. It's it's just a great movie. Really fun, really cool movie. If you got a couple hours to spare, go check it out. ISR recommendation. Not quite six thumbs up. Not quite there. Maybe a solid B, B plus. Not a waste of time. I mean, here's how it is. Here's the fact of the matter. If you have seen the other ones, you're going to see this one and you'll dig it. If you haven't seen the other ones, I can't say that this movie's dope enough that you need to go and see the other ones to catch up and then go see this one. So, I don't know. If you like The Hunger Games, you'll like this. If you're not really interested, wait till they're all on DVD and catch them all in one big lump. And there we go. That's all I got to say on that. Let's move on with The Shizzo. This is 
Chris, the projectionist from the Saturday Frights podcast. You are listening to the Toys R Us report. <laughs> And now, the Retro Toy Roundup. Kenner's starting lineup collection. Make it to starting lineup. Collect baseball's Gary Carter, Eric Davis, and Wally Joyner. To be a winner. Detailed uniforms, every home team, and their official. Collect starting lineup, each sold separately. To be a winner. Starting Lineups was a sports-themed action figure line produced by Kenner starting in 1988 and later by Hasbro that ran all the way up until 2001. They made all the major American sports, but this time we're going to focus on baseball because, dude, I was a giant baseball nut at the time. I don't know what it was. I think maybe the game was peaking. You had a lot of really cool players. You know, your Mark McGuire's, your Jose Canseco's, a lot of really larger-than-life dudes. And I live in the Bay Area, so we had, like, the Bash Brothers. You know, we had Canseco and McGuire, and the A's were just killing it. So baseball was really hot around here, and I was totally into it. It was that period when everybody was, like, speculating on baseball card collecting. You know, you were buying hot rookies and hoping to flip them later, and I got into that, too. I kind of had the collecting bug, and it really, it very seldom falls into cards, but at the time, me, my brother, and my dad were, like, really regularly going to baseball card collector conventions, and starting lineups were something that you saw there as well as on the toy shelves. Starting lineups was actually invented by an NFL player. I don't know how many other lines there are out there that were invented by a professional athlete, so starting lineups has that going for it. It was invented by this dude named Peter McLanally. Now, Peter was a punter. Now, there is a lot of debate about whether a punter is a real player, and this isn't a sports show, so we're not going to focus on that. We're just going to focus on the fact that he was paid for being in the NFL, so he is an NFL player. So, what happened was, one day, dude was in the toy store, walking around, looking for a gift for a nephew or whatever, and he saw that there were G.I. Joes, and that there were sectars, and other things based on other deals. So, and he was like, why aren't there action figures based upon athletes? He probably didn't say action figures. That wasn't really the Vogue term. He probably said dolls. He's like, you know, man, how come there aren't, like, dolls based on athletes? And it's like a lightning bolt or a light bulb popped on the top of his head, and he's got, I got an idea. He got the I got an idea syndrome. So he headed over to Kenner, and they were with it. They were with it from the start. They jumped right into it their first year. This shows how big they jumped into it. The very first year of production, they released 124 figures. I don't know how many lines there are out there that started with 124. I'm thinking maybe muscle. I don't know. We're going to have to talk to Gino Vega about this. And Gino, if you're listening, hit me up on Twitter and let me know. Were all the muscle dudes released at the same time or was it like series of them? Because if not, this 124 has to be some kind of a record. That was four dudes for all the teams except for the Canadian teams, which got one dude each. The next year, they really went whole hog, releasing seven figures per team. Sadly, though, the Canadian squad still had their one, so I feel a little bad for our neighbors up north. 
After that, they started to become slowly a little bit more selective. 1990 saw some teams like the very popular Mets having seven, while other teams like the not-so-popular Brewers only had one. The next year, they became even more selective, with some teams like the super-duper-duper popular Mets getting seven, and the lowly Brewers this time reduced down to none. What a bummer if you were a Brewers fan. And they had some good dudes at the time. They had, like, Robin Yant, and they had Paul Molitor. I think he was still with the team yet. That Paul Molitor, Rob Deere. They weren't a bad squad. I don't know why you'd knock them down to zero. I guess maybe... People weren't buying them up there. Here's one little thing about them that made it kind of cool. Usually, you would only get delivered from Kenner, the players from your area. Like, if you lived here in the Bay Area, you were only going to see the Giants or you were only going to see the A's. And if you wanted, you know, your favorite players from the Yankees or let's say your favorite players were the Brewers, you're going to have a really hard time finding them. And with no internet or really strongly established collector market, you're going to be in a hard time looking for those dudes. In the years after that, they seem to have developed a system where one year the Phillies would have no players and the A's, for example, would have five players. And then the next year you would see five Phillies and zero A's. I guess that's cool. I don't, I don't know. I guess it's fair as far as it goes. Statistically, from 1988 to 1993, they went from 124 releases to only 45. And it continued along like that until the series was discontinued in 2001. Let's take a little break, check out another starting lineup commercial, and we will come back and talk about some of the special series that they came out with. Okay, here we go, hit it. It's just a game. A game of 90 mile an hour fastballs and 400 foot slams. A game of elation and frustration and muscle and wood and leather. A game where boys become men and men become heroes. Where it's legal to steal and where every man just wants to go home. Starting lineup, we bring home the men of the game. Break yourself. This is the Toys R Us Report. Thanks for sticking with us through the commercial breaks. Now, here's something I just learned. Starting lineups came packed in. And I guess I shouldn't still be learning things while I'm doing the report. I'm just saying that. I knew this already. I just, it seemed like something I should say. I just learned. So we're going to say, I just learned to make things current. But what I did just learn is that starting lineups came packed in cases of 16. And they would have the date, the sport, and a number on the side. The number would correspond to what series they were or what set they were. For example, it would say 1988 Baseball A. And let's say set A would be like Wally Joyner or like Frank Viola and the Mets and also the Yankees because it was heading back east. And another set might be like 1988 Baseball 2, which would be like the Dodgers and Oral Hershiser and the A's and the Bash Brothers because it was heading out east. In the early 90s, starting lineups made this transition that a lot of a lot of kids did at the time. What happened was baseball cards became super popular. I don't know if, if you remember this. At my town, in my area, there was, God, there was like three different baseball card shops just here. And in my neighborhood, there was a full-on grown-up 
who opened a little baseball card shop in his garage. He had folding tables set up, I think three or four different rows of folding tables with all kinds of cards and packs and loose cards and rookies. It was pretty cool. I actually plan on dedicating a whole show to this at some point. It was a really weird portion of my life where I was hanging out in this dude's card garage. Anyhow, moving past that, starting lineups also made the transition from, you know, being exclusively a toy property into becoming a sports collector property, which followed, you know, what a lot of kids were doing at the time. It was a pretty shrewd move, even though I don't know if it was done intentionally. You started seeing starting lineups at all the baseball card shows. And at this time, there there was a few baseball card shows a year around here. There was a couple over in the, uh, the Grange building, and there was a few in the Scottish Rites Hall. And every year... There was a giant one in San Francisco at the Moscone Center. And at first you would just see cards and autographs and autographed bats and things of that sort. But then over time you would see entire tables dedicated to starting lineups with dudes having like the exclusive ones or the rookies. The thing was you would only be able to find the ones in your area. So people, I don't know if they had collector circuits or whatever because this was pre-internet. So I don't know if they had people they knew in other regions, but dudes at the collector shows would have the starting lineups from other places and that was always different it was fun to see you know the cool different players from the other areas and also to see the different poses that the action figures would have because you know you would only be seeing the four or to seven players that were available for the teams in your region the starting lineup thing has got pretty big on the convention circuit it got to where they were actually having collector conventions dedicated to starting lineups. I don't know how many years there were. The information's a bit sketchy. I guess I would have to say that my information looking skills are a bit sketchy, but they they discontinued those in the early 2000s. But for years, what would draw people to them would be the convention exclusives, which is always a cool thing, I guess, to have something actually manufactured, you know, for an event that you're going to. I wonder what the required pre-order is to get something made. You know, could I hold a little show in the building around here and pre-order like a special G.I. Joe? Do I need like 10,000, 20,000? I don't even know. Irregardless, it's more, it's more than I have and I don't even know how we got off onto this tangent. Anyway, I was thinking a little bit about the baseball card speculating and how Everybody was into it at the time, including me, and I don't have a lot of the cards, but I do remember a lot of the dudes I was into, and I thought, it's been years, so at this point I can look and see, you know, I can see how it all turned out. We're at the end, so let's see. A dude I was into at the time was Matt Noakes. He didn't really make it. I guess he ended up playing with the Yankees after the Tigers. There was this guy, Travis Fryman. I was into, he didn't make it. Hensley Bam Bam Mullins, he didn't make it, but I do think that I heard recently that he was hired on as a coach. There was a couple dudes I invested in pretty heavily who turned out all right, one of them being King Griffey Jr., but everybody knew Griffey Jr. was going to be great, and this is probably too much sports talk, so I'm going to I'm gonna cut it out. It was just a little interesting to me to find out the end result of my baseball card speculating. Let's take a listen to another starting lineup commercial. This one's from 1989. What draws me to it is that they mention Frank Viola, who... I don't know. I don't see him as being somebody you really want to mention as a slam-bang, let's-get-attention star. They did. They're Kenner. They know more than me. Anyway, Frank Viola and the starting lineups. To be a winner. 
terrific power hitting, a strong arm, great fielding, grit, speed, and a little magic to be a winner and make it to 1989 starting lineup. Winners like Conseco, Viola, Gibson, Greenwell, Davis, Dawson, and more, and more, and more to add to your collection, each sold separately. And every figure has a new uniform, new pose, and new collector's cards. Keep your collection growing with the winners of starting lineup 89. To be a winner! Thanks for thanks for hanging tight. Thanks for hanging tight through the commercial break. Anyway, we are back. And the last thing I wanted to do, I just banged on the table. Sorry for that. If it, you know, startled you in your earbuds. I just hit it by mistake. Anyway, the last thing I wanted to do before we headed up out of here was to take a quick peeky-poo at some current eBay prices. The most expensive individual individual figures that I found was a Carl Malone going for $750. The reason for that is they had a small area of coverage for Utah. So him and the second most expensive player is John Stockton. He was going for $550. They both came from Utah, both Utah Jazz superstars. John Stockton wore those itty-bitty shorts. That was what was cool about him. He was a white guy with a bowl cut, and he had what would be classified as booty shorts nowadays, quite frankly, they're the most expensive two individual players that I saw. If you some, you know, if you wanted the whole kit, the whole kit and caboodle, you could get every starting lineup. Now this is opened. You could get this right now for $6,435. That's a lot of money. It, it, it's a lot of money. It's a crazy amount of money to spend on any kind of toy or toy related merchandise. You got to think, though, for every single thing, you're in, you're out, you have the whole collection. That's not unreasonable. He had a make a best offer feature. I bet you if you're going to throw the dude like 3000 maybe 4000 you could get it. Possibly even less, depending on how bad he wants them out of there. They're, that's quite a big collection. It's shelves and shelves and shelves. Let's say you're just done with it. You don't want it even more. You might be able to get it for... $1,000 real money. That's, you know, that's just what I'm thinking. If someone offered me 1000 for something that I was looking to get rid of, I might jump at the 1000 now instead of waiting for the 6000 maybe one or two, you know, even three or eventually never many years down the line. All right, we're going to head into the Toys R Us report momentarily. There's one little thing I wanted to mention before we are totally out of here on the Retro Toy Roundup, and that is... I was mistakenly calling the dude Pete McLinally because when I wrote in my notes, it looked like an L. It's McInally. It's an I that I wrote. So Pete McInally. My uh, my apologies, Mr. Pete. Here's a little cool fact about him. He's the only dude in NFL history to score perfect on the Wonderlick test. So, oh, got a little beep there. I wonder what that was. Let's take a... Uh, Oh, here we go. It, today is the first ever Minimate name game over on the IC Robots forum on Facebook. And somebody who goes by the name of Tim Oliver just won. He correctly guessed Speed Racer as the first ever inaugurable, inaugural Minimate in the Minimate name game. So good for you, Tim Oliver. Congratulations. And we are going to get out of here. Pete McAnally, Perfect Wonderlick Test. Let's move on to the Toys R Us report. Up next, the Toys R Us report. Get off the Bozak, you're just a customer. True indeed, true indeed. So, we are at the final segment of the show, the part we have come to know and the part we have come to 
know and love as the Toys R Us report, my weekly synopsis of what I saw while I was out shopping, I guess. While I was out shopping at the different toy stores and places that I go. I didn't get out as much as I wanted to this week. A little bit crazy around here. Just, you know, some personal things going on with my family. Anyway, I didn't get out as much as I wanted to, so... My big find was at the Barnes & Nobles, which is a place I never, ever go to. I don't find myself downtown that often. There's not a lot of really cool stores for me. So I happened to be at Kinko's, and we dipped across the street over to the Barnes & Nobles, and I found the mother load of reaction figures. Reaction is my favorite right now, and I found the mother load. The, the findings at my Toys R Us have been really meager. They only have one peg's worth, and what they had at the Barnes & Nobles was a whole display stand. It was gorgeous. I, I would love to have taken it home with me even though I don't have the space for it. It had maybe I'm thinking three rows of eight pegs, maybe three rows of five pegs. It was great. They had all the ones you've come to see, you know, Predator, Terminator, Escape from New York, and they also had Goonies, which I haven't seen in person. They had Back to the Future, which I've only seen at the Toys R Us in Sacramento, and they had Nightmare Before Christmas, which I've seen at the record store, but they were all together in one place, and that made it cool. But they also had Pulp Fiction, which I have not seen anywhere yet. So I was super stoked. I actually went home with three. I got um, Sam Jackson, I got John Travolta, and I got Uma Thurman. I can't remember their names in the movie right now. I know that Travolta was Vic Vega. I can't remember Sam Jackson, and Uma Thurman's name escapes me as well. The one that I really wanted was the wolf. I wanted to get the wolf and Quentin Tarantino's character from the movie because he's in a bathrobe and the wolf and him both have coffee cups. So they would look really, you know, they would look really cool together. They only had Tarantino. I couldn't find the wolf. I was a little bummed out about that. Um, oh, the other thing I did, I actually did go out on Thanksgiving. We got done eating early, so I dipped over to... Sorry to use dipped twice. I wasn't really dipping. We were rolling, not dipping. We rolled over to the Toys R Us and, you know, we got in line at 5 o'clock to see what was cooking. I didn't really get in line as much as I observed the line because I consider myself a reporter of some sort, I imagine. Uh, I was looking. The line was pretty big. They had it going around the corner of the store. I'm going to say maybe 75 to 100 people, which is a ton. I never see that many people in the Toys R Us. We waited till it went by, though, before going in, and, and they had a really weird setup. Um, all the different routes were blocked off. You had to go through the way they wanted you to go. You had to go around the store and through the aisles. They literally had everything blocked off with store displays. I did not like that. I don't, I don't know. I know my way around the store. Still, though, it was a little different, and it was, you know, kind of weird. We, it took us forever to get in and out. Really, I just wanted to see how many people were going to be there. And there was, you know, a good amount. The store was fairly crowded once you got in. It was very unusual to see it being packed like that. And I guess I heard somebody say they were going to be open all night, which is really wild. I wonder who was there at like 3 or 4 in the morning. I should have done a little report on that. I guess probably no one. Maybe weirdos. Maybe just, I don't know, people who work at night and are on their way home. Anyway... That was kind of fun. That was different. I didn't see a lot of bargains that were that wild. They did bring out a lot of older toys that they must have had in the back. What did I see? I saw I saw some of those Flash Gordon action figures they had a while back. I've only ever seen uh, Flash. I think it was Flash. I can't remember right now. I don't. 
I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what I saw that was weird. They brought out some of the older G.I. Joe Creos and some of the older Transformer Creos. I don't know if they shipped them in or if they just had them stowed away in the back, but they were there and I was there too. And someone much wiser than me once said that showing up is the most important part of victory. One would say it is the most crucial part of victory because you can't win unless you show up. So... I showed up, I won, I went again, so I made it all the way to the end of the Toys R Us report. This is episode number 12. Next week will be episode number 13 when you see us again next Wednesday. So if you're the superstitious sort, wear some kind of lucky medallion or bring a rabbit's foot or whatever. So make sure to check us out on Twitter. That's twitter.com backslash robots over on Facebook. The Facebook is where we have the most fun Everything is focused there. I'm posting pictures. We're having a good time. We're looking at old wrestling dudes. We're looking at mini-mates. we got the mini-mate name game. So that's uh, facebook.com backslash Twitter. I'll see you guys next Wednesday. You know, it's always a hoot. If you don't know, now you know. Always a rush report out.